0: Take your Bible and go to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter one, verses 18 to 25. As you're turning there, let me remind you we're in that, that season of, of um, the church calendar called Advent. Advent means arrival. Uh, this four Sundays prior to the celebration of the birth of Jesus, they are Sundays of preparation and so we spend those four Sundays preparing ourselves for the birth of our King. If you were to distill uh, Advent down to, or if you were to distill the preparation down to its irreducible minimum, you would find this word, wait. <laughs> W-A-I-T, wait. <laughs> that's, that's what preparation for Advent is all about, I mentioned last week that when we as Americans here wait or we are delayed, we don't like it. Um, it is, in fact, I'm, I'm, I'm an American, you know, and I go, we, we, it, it's like anathema to us. I read this quote this week. Uh, here's a sociologist speaking of this, of Americans. Waiting too long in a line is often perceived as a violation of our right to manage and control our time. We live in one of the most individualistic cultures in the world, which means we want what we want and we want it now and it better be quick and easy. I'm just struck by that phrase. It's a violation of our right to manage our time and I would I I might paraphrase say you know when we have to wait it's a we feel at times it's a violation of, of it's a violation of our right to be in control. And so delay, to wait, it pushes against the fallenness of our hearts. And is it any wonder that God would use waiting, like that one thing, you gotta wait. He would use waiting to root out pride, arrogance, and to shape Christ-likeness in us. Well, to help us wait well, what we're doing uh, this year is we're taking... Uh, the Advent season, and we're looking at three individuals who had to wait in the Christmas story. Uh, we'll look at Joseph, Simeon, and Mary. Um, we said last week, I, I, I said last week that, you know, when you look at the individuals in the birth narratives, that they actually represent the whole of Israel. And so rather than start with the individual, last week, where did we start? I started with Israel as a nation. And we went to this page. I actually, I'm there right now. That's the page, there's Malachi, there's Matthew, and there's 400 years. And we said, let's look at what happened in those 400 years. They're known as silent years because there was no word from God through a prophet, but we said uh, it's the, God's silence certainly did not mean his absence, far from it. For as they waited, okay, and, and, and I'm not saying, they didn't wait well, really, and we, we see that when the gospels open. Um, God, God was at work in, in, in things as high and lofty as establishing kings and kingdoms and things as mundane as this, paving roads to get ready for the fullness of time and the birth of Jesus. This morning we're gonna pick up and we're gonna look at uh, Joseph. And, and I say this about Joseph, he, he is perhaps one of the most neglected characters in the Christmas story. I mean, he's always there. I mean, what are you gonna do, a Christmas pageant without Joseph? But he gets about as much attention as the donkey or the camel. I mean, never says anything. To, you know what I'm saying? He's just, he's gotta, he's gotta be there, but it's almost like, well, whatever. Let's talk about Mary. Well, that's not the way Matthew sees it. In fact, we open Matthew's gospel, and you'll see today, and if you read the whole, we're only gonna read part, you'll see Joseph takes front and center steps. He usurps Mary in the birth narrative. And I'll say this, if we, can, if we can glean from this, what I hope we do, we'll find that in Joseph's life, he gives us some lessons in waiting that are as profound as any story in the Bible can give us. So with that, I'm gonna take these, this, these uh, verses, I'm gonna break them into three parts. And, and why do I break them? So that we can kind of have some you know, mental holds. And so here's, here's where we're getting ready to go. We're gonna look at Joseph's plan. Okay, that's gonna be verses 18 to 19. His, Joseph's got a plan. And then in 20 to 23, we're gonna look at God's plans. So you got Joseph's plan, God's plan. And then the last two verses, 24 and 25, I'm just calling it Joseph's obedience. Now with that, you've got what this text is about. We're gonna go a little bit deeper than pull out some lessons. So look at your Bible. This is the living word of God for us today. May we hear it in the fullness of his spirit. So the story, we'll pick it up in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quickly. There's Joseph's plan. Now, to understand what, what's happening here, we, we've got to take in put ourselves back 2,000 years, and we gotta go back to that time and place and go, how did they view marriage? I mean, what's going on? I thought he's betrothed, but he's called the husband, and he's gonna divorce someone he's not even married to? What, what, what's happening here? Very briefly, when in, in that day and time, marriage and the institution of marriage looked look like this. Some, some see it as two things, like uh, betrothal and marriage. Others would say there's engagement, betrothal, in marriage, so let me start with, with the three, I think, that would help us. Engagement, in those days, uh, uh, two fathers may get together and agree that, hey, these, these kids, they're, they're two and three right now, but you know what? They're gonna marry each other. I mean, they would do that. You know, They, they would not leave marriage up to you know, who they fall in love with, who they have a crush on. There wasn't that romantic, so to speak, part in it, and that's true in some places around the world today. So there was an engagement, okay? So, so me and you know Greg decided, hey, we're, our kid, you know, your daughter is going to marry my son. We're going to do this. And then as they got older, and when I say older, fourteen to sixteen years old, uh, you know, um, Mary in this story, you all, we think she's fourteen to sixteen. It's it's you know a a, a girl would get married after she began her menstrual cycle and she could bear children. Joseph's probably in his, you know, maybe late teens, you know, but when we think of that, don't, don't think of it like they're just little kids. Well, in that day, they were reproducing young adults ready to go. So, engagement and then betrothal. Now, when you were betrothed to someone, this was a legal contract. This was a contract between these two dads now, between these two families. The girl could refuse the betrothal, think of you know, the Old Testament story, Jacob, you know, does, does she wanna go with him or not? Yes, he's gonna go with you. And she could have said no, but once, once you've entered the betrothal, then understand the, the girl, the, the future bride and the future groom, for all practical purposes, that is a binding legal contract. They are married with a few exceptions. They go home after being betrothed to their own homes. They're still in their parents' homes. And they have to wait. It's usually a year. And at the, 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 the end of that year, then they would have a marriage. But let me say this about the betrothal period. When you are betrothed to someone, um, notice in the text, they call Joseph the husband because that's what he is for them, see, in that culture, and wife. And therefore, you can't, break the betrothal apart from death or divorce. And so that's what you see happening here. They're in that betrothal stage. They're not married yet. And there is no sexual consummation. There's no sexual union between these two. This is a year of purity and faithfulness to each other. You with me? So then engagement, betrothal, and then the marriage and this is where, you know, when you think about marriages in Jesus's day, it, it, it really was a party, a celebration. So, so look, the guy's been waiting a whole year and he, he's basically married to that woman. But he hadn't had sex with her, hadn't consummated it, they're not together. And so at the end of that year, it's time to be married. It's a parade, a party, all his best buddies. Think of the 10 virgins lighting the lamps, waiting for him to, he goes and he physically, literally, he, they, they go, he goes and gets his girl and he carries her back to his home. The celebration would go on for a week. At the end of that week, they they, they kept the covenant, they're married, and then they consummate that um, on the marriage bed. That's, That's what happened in that day. So, engagement, betrothal, marriage. So, Joseph discovers that his wife, his betrothed wife, Mary, is pregnant, and when we read this story, you know it says, and is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. We, Joseph apparently didn't, didn't know that. She's just, perhaps she's showing, again, this is stuff, you know, we have to, there's some conjecture, so to speak, in this, but um, he, she, she's perhaps showing, you know, they're living in different homes. So um, we know in the Luke story, Mary goes and visits Elizabeth for three months. Perhaps now she's showing, but perhaps they're not even communicating with each other, and so maybe Joseph just hears Joseph, she's pregnant. Now, let me tell you what Joseph knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's not my baby. I mean, he, he, he did not have intercourse with her. It's not his baby. But she is pregnant. What we know is that Joseph is a just man. Just means righteous. It doesn't mean he's Blameless before God, you know, our, our righteousness in Christ, it means he's an honest, integrous, uh, law keeping man. And for him to now marry an unfaithful betrothed, you see, it, that, that would bring shame on his own family. He, he's trying to do the right thing, is what I'm trying to say. He's a just man. What we also know about his justness is that it was bathed with. Compassion and kindness. Now, this is where in these stories, and I hope you do this, you know, begin to look at Joseph, and what you'll see in Joseph and his response to Mary is the heart of God's steadfast love. Don't miss that. Now, why why would I say this? Well, we know this. He was, it says, he was unwilling to put her to death unwilling that speaks to the desire of his heart the longing of his heart you know we talk here about the heart it is who you are all that you are and we're always trying to help we're always reminding ourselves it's not just what you think and do it's what you feel and your desires and longings so we see here he was he he longed to not put her to shame do you see that that desire in him and then notice it says and he resolved what is that? His will. He didn't just go, I just don't, I, I, I can't bear to put her in shame. He then chose, as an act of his own will, he chose to say, I'm gonna divorce her quietly. He was, she, she was foremost, I, I think, as you read the story, in, in his mind. Now he could have divorced her publicly, She had two, two options here. You know, she, we, I need to divorce her, but I can do it publicly, and in that, all, she would be put to shame publicly. Or he could divorce her privately, as it says here, quietly with just you know one or two witnesses. Now here's, uh, you know, there's, there's much here, but I, I want to add this. I want you to recognize that Joseph, in choosing the private and the quiet route, he gave up his opportunity to protect his own, his own reputation. How about that? He, he would do it quiet, you know, he could have vindicated himself in front of the judge, in front of the, the town, the, whatever. No, no, he, he, he will let them think what they will think. and He will quietly do that, which is for the good of Mary. Now I don't want this to necessarily come out of left field, I don't think it does, but, but it just struck me, I'm gonna trust it's of the spirit. Um, in pursuing this path, we have a young man Y'all, he's probably in his late teens. Um, And he demonstrates a measure of manhood that I think we would all do well to emulate. So if I can speak to the men in the room, and I'm speaking in the mirror. If you're a member at fellowship, please know this. We will fight with you, with both of you, husband and wife. We will come alongside you to help you honor your marriage vows. We'll go to great lengths to join you to honor those vows, but the reality is: some of you looking at me now, some of you online, um, your marriage won't make it for for a variety of reasons. We're fallen, you know. I'm not forget to get out of the thing of casting. I'm going. It just happens that divorce happens, and we will walk with you in that with all the grace of the gospel. But if it comes to that, I'm gonna plead with the men in the room. Be unwilling, be unwilling, and then resolve to do that in a way that does not put her to shame. Though it costs you your own reputation, Do so in a manner that is marked by steadfast love. Now, okay, upon receiving the news that his life was now gonna be different, very different, may I say he's been waiting, I don't know how long, you know, he probably knew right when he got betrothed, I gotta wait a year. I don't know how long he waited. He waited long enough that she shows she's pregnant. It, but now it's not a year long wait. His wait is indefinite now. His wait is now indefinite. And that's that part I want us to understand. It, he, he had his plan. <laughs> Pause. And now we see God's plan. Look at verses 20 to 23. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. This is Isaiah seven. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want you to notice that when the angel speaks, he does not simply say, Joseph, but he says, Joseph, son of David. That phrase, son of David, it is used uh, 16 times in Matthew. Son of David, son of David, son of David, son of David. Every time it's used, it's connected to Jesus, son of David. Except this one time. We got one time, he says, son of David. And it's not Jesus. It's Joseph. Joseph, son of David. Now we as readers, okay, now we're reading this, okay? And the original readers are reading it. They, that would immediately take them back to verses one through 17. Because what does Matthew do in one through 17? He traces the lineage of Christ back through the line of David, all the way back to Abraham. He he, he traces the fatherly line of, of uh, Christ, and it's like the Spirit is t- saying to Joseph, "Hello, you are the son of you are in the line of David." Why does it matter? Think back to last week. There's a king in the, there's a king in Israel. Do you know his name? What's his name right now in this, time, in this day when Jesus was born? Who's the king of Israel? He's no son of David. You remember we said that? He's a son of Esau. He's no son of the promise. Now, in Luke's gospel, we trace the lineage of Jesus through the line of Mary, the mother, the blood. And so we we recognize through Luke's gospel that that Jesus is the Son of God through Mary. But, men and women, the kingship doesn't come through the mother. Where does the kingship come? Through the dad, through the father. And so, so, in this moment, we see the Holy Spirit saying, Joseph, the baby, in Mary's womb, who will save Israel from her sins, <laughs> he's the legal king of Israel. Why? Because you're his dad. Because you're his dad, son of David. It's, it, Joseph adopts Jesus. See, on the father's side, do you understand that baby Jesus is an adopted boy? Let me say this to every man, woman, and child in the room online. If you're adopted. You want to ponder how strong your adoption is. What does that really mean, you're adopted? Does it really mean I'm truly a son or daughter of my adopted mom, adoptive parents? The legal Kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ is secured through adoption, not by birth. Uh, Kari Scott grabbed me after the last service. She said, Lloyd, you, you, you know, this, let me tell you what happened when we adopted our two youngest." She said, "You know, and they're they're in their teens now." She said. Um, Rich and I, we were taken back in the judge's chambers and the judge sat us down he said, I want you to understand something. In Tennessee, um, you adopt these two children, um, you can never legally disown them. You you cannot legally disown them. You can legally disown your biological kids. Some of y'all didn't know that. Now you're going, oh, oh, okay, whoa. What's the point? The point is the reality of adoption. No wonder that you and I, when we place our faith in Christ, the Bible tells us you've been adopted. You've been adopted into the family of God. Legally, unbreakably. An amazing picture of the gospel. Now, Matthew says this was spoken, um, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. He says that 14 times in Matthew's gospel. This is just a catchphrase to always tell them when they're waiting. You do understand that this is all happening because God made a promise and it's happening. What What a comfort to you and I when we wait. Can we say, God is working out his plan. That's, Matthew just keeps reminding them and reminding us. Joseph's plan, it's like this. Joseph makes a plan and it's a good one. It's honorable. Can I say this? And it runs into God's plan and it, and it collapses. No, Joseph had a plan, no more. Now there's God's plan. This is what you're gonna do. And then I want you to note where it leads. Joseph's obedience, last two verses. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He took her as his wife. He's in a betrothal period. It's not near the end of the betrothal period, apparently, but Joseph would have none none of waiting on that, per se. In light of the angel's word, he married her. Betrothal over, marriage now. I don't know how that marriage went. I don't know how, how, how they sell it. We don't know that. We just know he took her as his wife, which meant he is the legal father of the child, that king in the womb who would save him from his own sin. We know that um, he didn't have sex with her until Jesus was born. I mean, don't, don't try and read anything crazy into this. It's what it says. He did not have sex with Mary until Jesus was born don 't overread into it now again I, I want to say this in an appropriate way, but you know when sex uh, w- w- if your wife is pregnant there 's nothing wrong with that physiologically biologically spiritually there 's nothing wrong with that at all, but he chose to wait um, now i'm not throwing i 'm not throwing the Catholic Church under the bus. I just want us to make clear here that what we understand because the, the, the Catholic Church w- would say that that Mary remained a, a virgin perpetually. That's not, that's not what the Bible says. Now, you can twist and turn some things and you can read things a different way, but I'm gonna tell you, read the Gospel of Matthew. You'll hit Matthew 12, 46, 1355, 1356, and you will see Matthew clearly say, hey, we hung out with Jesus's brothers and his sisters, they're with us. You know, So, so it wasn't a perpetual uh, virginity. And then he named the boy Jesus. God saves he named the boy Jesus because God told him to name the boy Jesus because that boy Jesus is God's son. That's who gets to name the boy. Let me give you just a few. Let's, let's get some application. Let's go, okay, okay Lord, that's interesting. What, what, how do I apply that to my life today? What does that mean for me today? Let me suggest a few things. The first would be this, and I'll make this statement. I'll repeat it. When it comes to waiting, make sure you're waiting for the right thing. That's the first thing I wanna, I wanna grab. And y'all, you could grab so many principles here, but let's grab these. Make sure you're waiting for the right thing. Okay, what do you mean waiting for the right thing? Well, what I mean is Jesus will save Israel from her sins. That's why Jesus came. That's what you've been waiting for, for thousands of years and the 400 silent years. It's very easy, and I think we see it in the stories in the Gospels, that, that they weren't quite waiting for that. It's, it's why they miss Jesus, right? It could easily, I could easily hear them thinking, no, we've got a way to deal with sin. It's called the sacrificial system. You know, I do my sacrifices, we do, that's how we deal with sin. No, 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 everything was pointing to Jesus being the final sacrifice. And there is no, you know, you could say, "Well, I'm, here's what they were waiting for, and we talked about this last week to get Rome out of here, get their foot off my neck. Look, I'm waiting for for, for Messiah to come and make Israel great again, to set all things right, to bring justice. Now listen, Jesus will come again and set all things right and justice will rain down from heaven and cover the, the righteousness of God will fill the earth. That's coming, but that doesn't come unless sin is dealt with. Our rebellion of heart is covered by the blood of Christ. The good news, oh Jesus, the Son of God, lived a sinless life. He died a death that I had earned because my sin deserves death, but Jesus took it for me. He was buried and he rose again and trust in the finished work of Jesus secures my forgiveness and my relationship with God forever. That's the core of what we always, under every waiting is the gospel and the good news. And so, just to make this a little practical, and, and this is gonna sound a little silly, but just ponder it, don't do it legalistically, but it's this, next time you have to wait Maybe rather than grab your phone, I, I do this. You know, what am I gonna do when I'm waiting? I'm gonna look at the knees. I wanna see what anybody texts me. I Blah, blah, blah. Rather than, than distract ourselves, you know, what if just, again, not legalistically, but just before the Lord and the power of the Spirit, you said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the psalmist. If you wanna summarize, if you wanna make it shorter, just do this. Next time you have time to wait, just go, Lord, is there any sin in my life I need to confess? Just that, just that. Because what does it remind us of? The gospel, the finished work of Jesus. Make sure you're waiting for the right thing. Secondly, I want to say this. Trust God and go to sleep. Now, easier said than done. I I am a worrier. I worry. I'm anxious. I'm the you know worst case scenario you know person. That's me. Uh, So I know this is this is hard. It's impossible apart from the Spirit who lives in us. But we dare not miss this very evident, I think, principle and truth here. He went to sleep. Wait no no you, you you don't understand Joseph you need to be worried and anxious you've got a betrothed woman she's you're gonna have to do you're gonna have to go yeah. can you imagine you know what I'm saying I would have been awake for weeks trying to figure out what what do I do what do I do what am I gonna do? What do, do what's gonna mean for my job and how, you know what I'm saying the man went to sleep you know what the proverb says proverb says if you lie down you will not be when you're trusting God. It, 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 uh, he says, if you lie down, you will not be afraid. This is Proverbs 3. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Now, it's inarguable. So, so there's, uh, there's no argument on this. You know, no, no, no uh, dividing opinions. You need to have your sleep for your physical, mental health. It'd be like you deprive yourself of oxygen, you know. You gotta have sleep. But do you know that in the Bible, we see sleep as, as an indicator of spiritual health. I think that's where the, what the Proverbs is getting at. That, that sleep itself could be a mark of, how are you doing spiritually? And the truth is, when I'm laying awake at night, I'm worried, I can't, I, I'm, what am I not doing? Truly, and I'm talking to myself, I'm not resting. I'm not trusting. I said last week that waiting is not a result of the fall. They waited in the garden. Y'all, can I say, it? we will be waiting in heaven. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Everything doesn't happen all at once. It's, there's this linear thing called time that even in eternity, there's moments that, do you see know what I'm saying? Waiting is a, is, is, is a part of God's great creation. And it, and it makes me think that perhaps he created sleep to make us wait. What can you do to solve your problems while you're asleep? You tell me, what can you do? Right? Just think about it. I mean, I know it's silly, but you can't do anything. You're, You're asleep. Yeah. Let me tell you who never sleeps nor slumbers. God. In your sleep, he can do more than you could do with you know, 48 years of life. I mean that when you rest in his promise. Last thing. Waiting is first about obedience, not inquiry. I gotta explain this one. I didn't know how to say it. That's not said very well, but I'll try to unpack it. Waiting is is first of all about obedience, not inquiring. What I'm trying to say is, in our waiting, the first step is obedience, not getting your questions answered. There's a time for getting questions answered, we can work on that, but the reality is this. We read the story, God's word comes to Joseph, the Holy Spirit has impregnated your wife, now, marry give him the name Jesus. I'm gonna tell you what many of us would do, and I think I would, is, wait, can you say that one more time? How, how does the Holy Spirit impregnate a woman? Wait, wait a minute, you gotta explain how this, ha- do you see what I'm saying? We, we can tend to get caught, it's been 2,000 years since Jesus was born, we have no idea how the Holy Spirit mysteriously impregnated Mary. But those questions didn't hit Joseph. You know what hit him? God has spoken, and I'm gonna obey. And by the way, please note, we talk about this a lot, biblical obedience is is fundamentally one-step obedience. For some of us, it's one inch obedience. It's not, and then I want you to do this, and then I want you to go to Egypt, and you're gonna run, and then you're gonna do this, and by the way, you're gonna die young. You know, he didn't say all that. Marry this girl. Name the son Jesus. Oh, a lot more happens later on. Obedience, not the inquiry. Okay, so what? I'm gonna invite Carl and Heather and the team back out. I've got something special I want them to do. Okay, what Lloyd? You're going, well, okay, Lloyd, so land a plane. There's three principles we can grab. Let me ask you to grab the principle in this way. I want you to think of a promise of God that's yours. Now, just from memory, uh, you know, a childhood verse you remembered or something I said, just what's a promise of God? that Like, you know, he will never leave you or forsake you. Just something, something. just grab one. Just whatever the spirit brings to your mind, this is a truth about God that I can hold. And I want you to hold it like like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Just whatever that promise is, hold it. Then I want you to bring something you're waiting on. And and all of us are waiting on different things, but you bring the thing you're waiting on and you bring it to this promise. When you bring that to this promise, see, the promise informs your waiting. And from that place, in the power of God's spirit, let me tell you what's next. You do the next thing. So what's the next thing? So so you go, okay, Lloyd, what's the, what's the next thing for you today? And you trust that his promise is true even in your waiting. The angel's gonna speak to Joseph, one, two, four more times. And when you read it, I want you to notice, it's like, you know, the guy's a good sleeper. (laughs) God bless him. Uh, But when he wakes up, he's he's at it. The question for you and I was, was phrased in a way, in a song that Carl and team just wrote. When the angels leave you no, what do you do when the angels leave? Can I say this? Most of us, I don't think, are gonna have a vision or an angel's gonna speak. And, and the reason why, okay, is the reason why is because God has spoken. He, it, it, he, it's here. His will for your life, it's here. And so we, 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 the angel has spoken. What do you do? when the angel leaves. I'm trusting by the power of the Spirit in you, in me, that the next step is a step of obedience.